0: in my house with these two kids, I mean, they are just full of belief. And so we have our Polar Express bell hanging on our tree and Connor, my oldest, he'll go up to the tree and he'll, he'll ring it. And then he'll, he'll come over, dad. Yeah, Connor. I believe me too. And it's just, it's adorable. And it's just heartwarming at at how much our, our kids believe. And it's, it's easy for them to believe. And, and we almost envy their belief and their faith in so much. What happens for us, kind of like the Polar Express even talks about, it, is, is as we get older, we go from hearing the bell to almost hearing the teacher in Charlie Brown. You know what the teacher says in Charlie Brown? What's he say? Or what's she say? Wah, 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 wah. And what happens is, is we've heard the Christmas story dozens of times. I mean, whether you are, are from a Christian household that grew up going to church or not, we know part and most of the Christmas story. In fact, you might be here like, it's Christmas. That means our pastor is going to be preaching about, guess what? The birth of Jesus yet again. No, no shocker there. Guess what I'm going to preach on next December? Same thing. And at some point you start to, to, to hear the want wah, wah. It's like, we're, you kind of read the same stories over and over and over year after year. And here's my, my big prayer for us. Is, is regardless where you find yourself in belief, regardless, right, wherever you're at in your life change story, my prayer is that you would begin to answer a question, a very powerful and significant question this morning, do you believe? And if you say, yes, I believe, then my next question would be, well, what do you believe? It's a season of believing, but quite honestly, especially as we get older, and we've had some rough Christmases, we've had some rough years, and, and believing becomes a lot more difficult than what our kids would make it out to be. So do you believe and what do you believe? I pray that you'll be able to begin to answer and wrestle with those questions as we go through a very familiar story this morning. In fact, I brought, I brought three of them with me out of my nativity scene. So these are the wise men. Yes, the three wise men. And I want us to, to read their account, to read their story, part of the Christmas story on Matthew 2. And I want you to focus on those two questions. Do I believe? And then what do I believe? And we're going to ask the same questions of these wise men. Do they believe? And what exactly do they believe? And that's going to help us in our growth and our strengthening of our beliefs this Christmas season as well. So look at it with me, Matthew chapters 2. We're going to start in verse 1 and kind of just go through the entire account. Verse 1, Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod. About that time, some wise men from eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem asking, here's their question, where is the newborn king of the Jews? We saw his star as it rose, and we have come to worship him. Now, let me give you some, some quick facts. You may or may not know these. You may or may not care about this, but it's good to at least have some context. So if you have a nativity scene like me, you see how many kings? Three? Now, what does the scripture say? How many are there? There's some. So we know there's more than one because some would indicate plural. But we don't know whether there was three. We assume three because of the the three gifts given. But there's no indication that there were just three. This could be a large caravan of wise, men's com- wise men coming. It could be just two or three. We have no idea. All we know is there were some wise men. And where did they come from? Lands uh, Lands from the east. Now, if you you study a little bit more about the wise men, and and literally that that term wise men is their their name. Anybody know? Not wise men, but Magi, yes, and we might think magician. Magician and magi are two totally different things, but a magi, man, they were elite advisors for kings. They were astronomers. They were scientists. They were philosophers, very influential, very wealthy, and and as far as the eastern lands, knowing the, the, the history of the magi, would most likely place them in what the Old Testament would call call Babylon, what we would now call Persia or Arabia, that area. And so they're traveling from the east because they saw a star. We'll get to that in a second. They see a star, and so they begin to travel towards Jerusalem. It is about an 800 to 900 distance, travel time, distance-wise, miles from Persia area, what they would have called Babylon, all the way to Jerusalem. So we know a little bit about them. We don't know exactly how many, but we know there were some. We know that they were from the east, probably Persia area. <clears throat> and we know that Magi means that they are very influential, top advisors, and they were the scientists and philosophers of their day and of their culture. So here we go. Verse 3. So you have these Magi coming to Jerusalem, asking around, asking, where's this king of the Jews? We saw his star. We're, we're here. And you would expect that the king of the Jews, that the Jews would be already celebrating him, right? Right? that this is the Messiah, this is the promised king that the Jews have been waiting for for years and years and centuries, that Jesus had been promised and Jesus had been prophesied about. So these wise men come in and they know that, they come in, and they start asking around, where is where's this Messiah? Look at everybody's response. Verse 3 says, King Herod was deeply what? Excited? Disturbed. King Herod was deeply disturbed when he heard this as was everyone in Jerusalem. That's got to be interesting. You're one of these magi, one of these wise men, traveling 800 to 900 miles. You've seen the sign. The Messiah is here, just like the Jewish scriptures had told. They get to Jerusalem, hub of all the Jews, thinking everybody's going to be celebrating, and they get upset at them. These wise men cause a major ruckus throughout all of Jerusalem, to the point where King Herod gets upset. He's mad, everybody else is mad, can't believe what these wise men are doing, verse 4. So he, Herod, called a meeting of the leading priests and teachers of religious law and asked, where is the Messiah supposed to be born? In Bethlehem in Judea, they said, for this is what the prophet wrote. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not least among the ruling cities of Judah, for a ruler will come from you who will be the shepherd of my people, Israel. So that's a a prophecy about Jesus as the Messiah. So verse seven, here's what Herod does next. So then Herod called for a private meeting with the wise men. And he learned from them the time when the star first appeared. Then he told them, go to Bethlehem and search carefully for the child. And when you find him, come back and tell me so I can go and what? Worship him too. Now, if you know a little bit more about the Christmas story, it's Herod telling the truth here. <clears throat> no, not at all. In fact, he wants to know where this Messiah is so he can actually get rid of him. And if you actually read through the rest of the account further what we're going to go through today, you'll see this madman, Herod, go just completely psycho and berserk. He begins killing babies all around the area to try to get rid of the Messiah. So, so the wise men don't know this. Nobody else knows what's in the mind of Herod other than at this point, Herod. So here's what the wise men do next. Verse nine, after this interview, the wise men went their way. And the star that they had seen in the east guided them to Bethlehem. It went ahead of them and stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were filled with joy. They entered the house. Oh, now there's another misconception oftentimes. If you were again to look at my nativity, you would see my three wise men showing up at the stable with baby Jesus in a manger. Scripture tells us that they entered the house. Reason for that is most likely... Because of the distance, the wise men would have had to travel that 800 to 900 miles from Persia area all the way to Jerusalem is, man, that that would have taken some months at least. And so by the time Jesus is, is not just a newborn anymore, he is probably now a little bit older and he's out of the stable and he's into a home. So they entered the house and saw the child with his mother, Mary. And what did they do? Look at this. They bowed down and worshiped him and then they opened their treasure chests And gave him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. When it was time to leave, they returned to their own country by another route, for God had warned them in a dream not to return to Herod. Now we're asking the question what do the wise men believe? Exactly. Do they believe in what do they believe so that we can start to wrestle with that ourselves? Do we believe in what do we believe? The first part I want you to pay attention to is they probably, we are going to make a few assumptions here, but this is what's great about Bible study. You get to dig in, you get to make some interpretations, and these are great questions. When you get to heaven, say, God, was I right or was I wrong? So the wise men most likely had some knowledge of Scripture. There's, here's a prophecy regarding Jesus, regarding the Messiah out of Numbers, way Old Testament, Chapter 24, first part of verse 17, the prophecy about the Messiah says, I see him, but not now I behold him, but not near a star will come out of Jacob. A scepter will rise out of Israel. So for the wise men to being astrologers, being able to pay attention to the heavens and the skies and stars, planets and everything, they would have seen a spectacular sign in the sky. And if you, if you're kind of like a Bible geek, science geek, and you want to like dig into this, go to the website, the If you just want that, that's not scripture. You know, this is not like a pastor telling you this is the way, the truth and the life like Jesus says, but this is some very interesting data that they have found regarding what that star might be. If you want to dig in, do your own research, make your own interpretations, it's a fun and interesting topic to dig into. What exactly was the star? What did the wise men actually see? But they, they see something spectacular in the, in the star that got their attention. And then to go back and, hey, remember that prophecy about the Messiah, the Jewish king? He's associated with this star. Now, how would they have known about that, pro, that, that prophecy in Numbers? Now, here's something really fascinating. Do you actually want to know how this connects or you don't really care? There's a few of you that actually want to know. I'm fascinated by it, so therefore you have to listen to me. Now, check this out. In Daniel chapter 2, you know Daniel, Daniel in the lion's den. You also read about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, the fiery furnace. Check this out. Daniel had the gift of not just prophecy, but he also had the gift of being able to interpret dreams and interpret signs for the Babylonian king, King Nebuchadnezzar. They were part of the exile. So they lived in Babylon, which would have been modern-day Persia-Arabia area. Daniel chapter 2, verse 48. Then the king appointed Daniel. That's the Babylonian king. Then the king appointed Daniel to a high position, a high position, and gave him many valuable gifts. He made Daniel ruler over the whole province of Babylon, as well as chief over all his who? His wise men. How cool is that! Here, Daniel. He, he fears and worships the almighty God, is given, given charge of not just this incredible job as, as over Babylon, but he is actually over all of Babylon's wise men, all of, all of the Magi. It goes on, you actually see there in the next part that Daniel then had Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego come and help him. They became part of almost his governors around Babylon. So there was a very strong Jewish um, influence not just to the entire country or the empire of Babylon, but to specifically the Magi because Daniel was over all of them. So Daniel, most likely, being a Jew, knowing the prophecies about the coming Messiah, would have shared those, especially if it had anything to do with something happening up with the stars and the moon and the sky. So this probably would have been shared with the Magi because of Daniel's authority over them and because of Daniel's lead to the point where when they see this event happen up in the heavens, they remember, hey, remember what the Jewish Old Testament said. Remember that prophecy that our father's 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 father told us that Daniel had said. And they begin to know at least parts of Scripture now, they didn't just know though, because here's, here's almost the missing piece for me. You've got these magi that are living in the Persia area and they see this spectacular event. They know some of the prophecies, but something inside them made them drop everything and travel almost a thousand miles to see this king. They were aware most likely of the scriptures, parts of the scriptures and parts of the prophecy, but it wasn't just knowing that got them moving. And they had a belief that this is, this is not just some king. No, no, this is the king. This is the promised king. This is the Messiah king. This is not just king over some land or country or empire. This is king over everything. King of the earth, king of the heavens, king of overall creation. And it wasn't just the knowledge of scripture that got them to where Jesus was. It was the belief in who Jesus truly is. And if if I if I could have an answered prayer short-term for you all this Christmas season, I mean, there's a lot of things to pray for, obviously. Mine's that you would fall in love with God's word all over again. That, that you wouldn't just know what it says, but man, you would, if for the first time or, or over and over again, that you would fall in love with God's word. In Hebrews chapter four, I want you to see what, what Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews actually says about God's word. It says, for the word of God is alive and powerful. It is sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword, cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. The word of God is alive. It's active. It's powerful. Man, fall in love with God's word. It's not just a, do we believe in God's word? It's, man, do we believe it to the point where it changes our life? Do we know it? Should we know it? Sure. Do we need to be familiar with it? Yes. Should you be a Bible scholar? Not necessarily. That's what Google's for, right? But I want you to believe in God's word to the point where it changes everything about your life, every moment of every day of every decision. That's what it did for the wise men. They didn't just know of the prophecy, most likely. They had to have believed it to say, we're dropping everything. And to go to a foreign land, because of who the king would be that they would meet. It's more than just knowing, it's believing. I pray that you would believe in God's word. Believe in God's word as the Magi most likely did, that it caused, caused them, because of their belief, dropping everything to travel almost a thousand miles to get to the Messiah. Fall in love with not just God, but fall in love with his word and let it just take deep root in your heart so that it changes everything. And every decision and every word and every thought, every movement you make gets filtered through God's word. Fall in love with God's word to strengthen your belief. Believe in his word and fall in love with his word all over again. Talked about what Christmas is like in my household with with two young kids. Uh, Not only is the Polar Express bell a very big deal, but we do something. And if you don't have kids, man, this might be a a new thing for you, but I'm going to teach you something new if you're not aware of this. Um, I want to introduce you to Dash. And in our house, he's called Dash. You in your house, you might call him something different, but he is our, he's our elf. And if you don't know how this works, is Santa sends an elf to your house, you may not be aware of this, you might not have found him yet, but you have an elf in your house somewhere. And that elf is watching and listening to see if you've been good or not. And that elf will each night fly up to the North Pole and, and tell Santa everything that that elf has observed. And then come back and you'll find this elf in a different place around your house each and every morning which is a lot of work, believe it or not. And as you find this elf, it's, it's just a big deal. And so for both of my kids, Connor especially, the first thing, what I wish, I wish I could parent my children. So the first thing that they do when they wake up is, well, good morning, father. How was your sleep? And I could say, Connor, it was lovely. How was your son? And he would respond in such a delightful way. That's not how the mornings work in the Haas household. Once, once we all kind of get moving, which is a chore in of itself, right? It's Where's Dash? And I'm like, you don't care about me at all. You, you care about this elf. Thanks a lot, Dash. But he will tear the house apart looking for Dash. And being a pastor, Dash follows us around where we go. And you know, we get to church pretty early. So if you haven't noticed, Dash is actually here keeping an eye. Do you, you, you see Dash? Can you guys find Dash? If you haven't noticed, he's over here. Now, I, I we can't touch Dash, and he can't talk to us. Remember. But I have a feeling. If I can make an assumption, Dash chose to be right there because he wants to keep an eye on you to, to kind of really pay attention to those of you that have fallen asleep so far in my message. And I may not be able to see you, but Dash most certainly can. So he'll be telling Stan a lot about you. In fact, this morning, uh, because Dash is, is here with us at Mount Lake Dawson this morning, he's not at our home like he normally is, and Connor was very upset that Dash wasn't there until Becky brought Dash in between services, and he got one foot into the auditorium, saw Dash, and ran out to tell his children's workers, Dash came to church this morning! So, Dash is here, but I'm done. My kids will tear the house apart looking for Dash because of the belief that they have in him and and what he's all about and the stories that we have about him. What's interesting about the wise men is they relentlessly pursued looking for Jesus. The belief that they had that probably rooted in God's word, believing in what God's word said in the Old Testament scriptures, and they believed that Jesus was not just a king, but the king, they relentlessly pursued looking for Jesus traveling 800 and 900 plus miles to get to Jerusalem. Then remember, what did, the, what did the wise men do once they got to Jerusalem? What did they start asking? What were they asking the, the Jews? Where is he? Where, where is it? The, the star only got him to Jerusalem. The prophecy that they knew only got him to Jerusalem. So they're asking, okay, Jews, where, where's your king? Where's the Messiah? Where, where's this Messiah at? And they got upset, Remember? They were greatly disturbed. They caused a ruckus out of all Jerusalem. Finally, remember the story, Herod pulls in his lead priest and says, well, where's the Messiah supposed to be? They said, well, the prophecy says it will be in Bethlehem. So they send. Now, pay attention to this. Herod sends the, the wise men to Bethlehem, and then they pick up the star towards Bethlehem, and they get to, get to see Jesus. Now, I've heard this story. I have preached this story. I mean, I can't tell you how many times and how many years. Here's something that I just paid attention to. Just notice this, and maybe you've caught this before, but you talk about God's word being alive and active and powerful. This, this is my study this last couple of weeks, is think about who knew that the what the wise men knew. The wise men came. They start telling the entire city of Jerusalem, "Say, we're here to see Jesus. Where is he?" Herod finds out about it. Herod tells them to go to Bethlehem because the lead priests and the religious leaders say that the Messiah is supposed to be in Bethlehem. Now understand. Persia to Jerusalem, about almost 1,000 miles, 800 to 900 miles. Jerusalem to Bethlehem, 4.4 miles. Less than five miles from Jerusalem to Bethlehem. And here's the part that blows me away. King Herod, the entire city of Jerusalem, and the leading priests and religious leaders, none of them went with the wise men to Bethlehem. None of them. I would think, I have to imagine that if I'm a Jew in Jerusalem during this time and I have heard about, I have memorized and I know the prophecies of the coming Messiah and I have been waiting for generations that God would finally make good on his promise that the Messiah would finally be here. And these foreigners come in and said, we've seen a star and we know the scriptures. Where is he? And he says, well, stop bothering us with him. He's probably in Bethlehem. Go check for yourselves. And then not go and look. I cannot wrap my mind around that. That no one, the king of the Jews, King Herod, the religious leaders and leading priests and no one else in Jerusalem went with these magi to at least check it out. It blows me away. Now, if I'm if I'm a magi and I've traveled all this way and you walk into Jerusalem and everybody's upset that you're looking for the Messiah versus excited to help you find the Messiah, I would say discouragement would be would, would be just a small way to describe this. And it wouldn't have shocked me if the Magi got to Jerusalem and instead of being welcomed with open arms and instead of being joined with the excitement of potentially finding the Messiah, instead you find people upset at you, it would not have shocked me if the Magi said, forget it, we're going home. And they would have been 4.4 miles away from the Messiah. But instead, even even in the midst of the the unfortunate response from the rest of the people, the king, the religious leaders, and the rest of the Jews in Jerusalem, they continued to look after Jesus. They continued to search for Jesus. They relentlessly pursued Jesus and they did not quit. Not like church. Keep searching. Relentlessly search for Jesus and don't quit. Many of you have, have found yourself in that place where you want to believe, you grew up believing, you kind of believe, you believe parts, but you're unsure. I mean, and we've all been there, and we're all going through that. You're in a good spot to, to be questioning, to be searching. But don't quit. It's very discouraging, and it's very hard to, to search for Jesus on your own, like the Magi would have. You have an entire town, an entire nation that doesn't want to have anything to do with it with you. But they kept going. If you're searching for Jesus, don't. quit. Keep asking questions. Keep reading. Keep leaning in. But it's hard. You might be the only one in your family searching. You might be the only one in your office who's looking for Jesus. You might feel at times out in the world, outside of these walls, that I'm I'm all alone trying to do this all on my own. Don't quit. Keep searching. Keep searching asking because you might be less than five miles away from him. If the the Magi called it quits and went home, they would have missed the Messiah by less than five miles. King Herod, the rest of the Jews, and the religious leaders, they missed meeting the Messiah in that moment, even though he was 4.4 miles away. And this was the Messiah they had been waiting for for centuries. Don't give up you're searching for Jesus, relentlessly pursue him and don't quit. You don't know how close you might be. There's two things that I'm currently searching for in my life that I refuse to quit, that I will continue to relentlessly pursue, and I promise I will never stop and I will never quit. My Apple TV remote and the attachment to my vacuum cleaner. Those are the two. I refuse. I've been missing that Apple TV remote for over a year. I refuse to buy one. I refuse because I know it's in my house somewhere, and I am positive It's my youngest son's, Cole's fault. I am positive, because I've seen him do this with other things. Short timeout, funny story. He did this with baby Jesus from our nativity scene. Yeah, we went about a day not knowing where baby Jesus went. Oh, he put him in a little vase that was on the bottom. I was like, what are you doing with Jesus? Put him back in the manger where he goes. But I am positive that Cole, 18 months old, has taken my Apple TV remote and put it somewhere in the house that I can't find. Same thing with a portion of our vacuum. You know, the little extensions that allow you to vacuum, you know, the sofa and other things. Yeah, that's gone too. And I refuse, I refuse to buy another one because I know it's in my house. And I will continue to rip my house apart looking for my Apple TV remote as well as for my vacuum attachment. It's what we do when we believe in something, isn't it? We don't quit, we don't stop, we refuse. And so here the wise men, we know what they believed because they refused to stop. They believed even more than King Herod and the religious leaders as well as the rest of Jerusalem. They didn't just believe in God's word, they believed in the kingship of Jesus. And they refused to quit looking for him. So keep looking for Jesus. Keep pursuing. Keep searching. Keep asking. Don't quit. Last thing I want you to pay attention to is is how they treated King Jesus versus King Herod. Because what's interesting, if you, if you study the Magi, and again, I told you they are like top influencers in the king, uh, for, for the king or for their empire, in their government, in their cultural context. Very wise, wise men obviously, knowledgeable, they were scholars, they were scientists, philosophers. So I mean, you're talking very influential and very, very wealthy. So usually part of their job would not just be to advise their king or their emperor, but would be to be sent on trips to visit with other nations' kings and other nations, rulers. And they would go usually for a very very specific reason to to help. They would go to help provide some political gain. They'd say, hey, let's let's create an alliance or maybe a treaty. There would always be an ask. A a wise man, a magi would go to another nation to work out between the two countries, to work out between the two nations. And there would always be a, we'll give this, and then you give us. There's this back and forth. They were kind of not just advisors, but they would do a lot of the king's work. What's interesting here is when they they went to Jerusalem, they never asked to meet with King Herod, ever. Usually, wise men, magi, when they came into another nation, they would immediately set up a, a time to sit down with that nation's king. They never did that with Herod. They immediately got to Jerusalem and started asking, where's the Messiah? Where's this newborn king? I think that's why we read that King Herod was greatly disturbed. He didn't like that these influential foreigners are asking for another king that's not him. He gets all upset about it. They come for one reason and one reason alone, to search for and to find Jesus. So they already have have treated Herod and Jesus very, very differently. They both carry the title of king, but they really don't care that much about their time with Herod. They immediately want to spend time with Jesus. Now, notice when they come into the presence of Herod, Herod calls this secret private meeting. And it says here that um, he called for a private meeting with the wise men, learned from them the time the star first appeared, told them to go to Bethlehem, told them to report back, that whole part of the story. We never see a, a very meaningful interaction between the wise men and Herod. It's just information, and it was called by Herod, not the wise men. Now, if you look further on in the story at how they approached Jesus when they got in his presence, it says, they entered the house and saw the child with his mother Mary, and look, they bowed down, worshipped him. They opened their treasure, treasure chest and gave him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh, gifts for a king. When they came into the presence of Herod, could have cared less. Here's what we know. Here's what we're doing. Can we please be on our way? When they stepped foot into the house and they saw Jesus, they bowed down, they worshiped, and they gave gifts. And they never asked for anything. Like I said, typically when they would go, they would meet with the king. They would dialogue back and forth. There would be a you give and we get and we give and you get. They didn't care about King Herod. They wanted to find Jesus. They find him. They bowed down. They worshiped and they gave gifts. And then it says, and then they went home. They never asked anything for Jesus. So wrap your minds around this. These wise men traveled almost a thousand miles to Jerusalem into somewhat hostile territory where these Jews have, have gotten all upset that they're looking for the Messiah. They find the Messiah five, less than five miles away from Jerusalem. They find him in this house. They bow down, they worship, they give him gifts, and they go home. That's it. These wise men traveled all of that way, dealt with all that they dealt with, just to worship Jesus and then to go home. They didn't ask for anything. They didn't gain anything other than they themselves got to be in the very presence of God in the flesh, Emmanuel, God with us. They came to see King Jesus, to worship him, and to, to, to ask for and to do nothing else. Last thing I want you to see on how they treated these kings differently is they were given, the wise men were given two different sets of instructions, weren't they? Herod said, hey, go find the child, and if you find him, report back to me so that I can go remember what he wants to do, go worship him. We know that's false, but they were told by the king of of the Jews at that time, come back to me and tell me if and where you find Jesus. Now, if you look at the very last part of the story we read in that verse 12, it says that when it was time to leave the wise men, they returned to their own country by another route. Why? For God had warned them in a dream not to return to Herod. So they have two conflicting instructions given to them, two different commands. One from King Herod, one from God Almighty. Which one did they choose to follow? God. When given instructions, they were given instructions by two different kings and they followed they followed King the, the King, the King of all creation, versus the king of that area. Shows a lot into their hearts of did they believe? I would say most certainly, what did they believe? They believed not just in the kingship of Jesus and who? who the prophecies had said that he would be as Messiah, but they believed with all in their hearts of who God was at the expense of ignoring a king to follow the king. Did they believe? Yeah. What did they believe? They believed in Jesus. They believed with all their hearts to make such a journey that began with nothing but something they saw in the sky and something they had heard or read about in God's word. To get there and to find a a group of people that wanted to have nothing to do with them. No one would go with them, but they pursued relentlessly still. And then to find him, and the only thing that they did was to bow down, worship, and to give him gifts. And then they went home, following God's instructions, not the instructions of the king. What does it look like for us to believe? What does it mean for us to believe like these wise men? to believe in God's word with all our heart, where it changes everything about us. To believe believe that Jesus is not just a prophecy, he's not just a promise, he's just not a nice story or a theory, but he he is God in person, and that we search for him and we seek after him and we never quit. Even when we don't understand everything, we search and we seek, relentlessly pursuing him. And even in the midst of all the other kings of our lives, we choose to worship, bow down, and give gifts to the one and only king. We have a lot of kings that pop up in our lives in this season, especially, don't we? Kings of busyness that want our time. Kings of of all the expectations trying to get jobs done before the end of the year. Kings from our our, our in-law kings, which those are important, but... (laughs) Kings of perfection. Oh, we have to have the house perfect. We have to have the perfect meal. We have to get the perfect gift. The kings of shopping to make sure that we get everything for everyone who ever asked us for anything. A lot of kings become evident in our lives at this time. And when it comes down to it, we have to choose. King of the land or king of the earth. King of the season or king of creation. And if we believe in who Jesus is, he's the only king that we bow down, worship and give to. He is our king. King. Something that's very interesting that happens later on in the early church. You have after Jesus crucified and goes back up into heaven after his resurrection, he leaves the apostles, the original disciples, to then begin to spread the gospel, spread the good news, spread what we're reading about, even. And and many years after the apostles' death, about a hundred or so years afterwards, you have a lot of these early Christians and these early churches that are like, we've got to remember exactly who we are and what we believe. So they came up with something that's called the Apostles' Creed. You're not going to find the Apostles' Creed in Scripture. I mean, I can't tell you what chapter and verse and book to go to that says, and here's what the Apostles' Creed says. But it's a a tradition that did get written down. And what had happened is these early churches got together and said, what did the apostles teach us about Jesus and about God and about his word? And they began to, as best as they could, simplify in in a poetic and clear way. Yes, we believe, but here's exactly what what we believe. Now, the reason that would have been important is because of what belief does in our lives. Because it's evident. If you believe, then your behavior begins to show it. My son believes, and so he tears the house apart looking for Dash. My son believes every time he hears it. We believe, and our behavior shows it. But we know as we get older, we believe in, well, there's some tough Christmases, and there's some tough seasons, and some very difficult years, and over time, we just hear the wah, 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 wah. So the early church said, we've got to make sure we remember who we are in Jesus, who we are to God, that we never forget that we believe in what we believe. And here's why. Let me give you three quick passages of why belief is important and what we see evident in the lives of these wise men. 1 John 5, 5 says, who, who is it that overcomes the world? Only the one who what? Believes that Jesus is the Son of God. Belief gives us confidence that we can, look, Scripture tells us we can overcome the world. We can, we can make it. And I don't know what your situation is. I don't know what you're dealing with. I don't know what you're going to walk out of here and what you're going to be walking into today, this week, this season, this year. But I know that God's word says and God's word is alive and active and powerful. And I believe it with all my heart. So I know that that we overcome the world if we believe that Jesus is the son of God. We get confidence when we believe. John 14, 12, Jesus says this, very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me, will do works I have been doing and they will do even what? What's it say? Greater. Do you ever think you would do something greater than Jesus, the very son of God? That's what Jesus is telling us. He says, very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do works I've been doing. They will do even greater things than these because I'm going to the father. Belief gives us power. Power to do what we would think impossible, but with Jesus, we know that all things are. Lastly, Romans 10, 9 through 10 says, if you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and you what? You believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. We find life in our belief. We're not saved by anything we can do, but our belief in Jesus and the grace that he freely gives us Allows us to have not just life here, abundant life as Jesus talks about here, but life everlasting. So these early churches, knowing the, the importance and the power and the life and the confidence that we gain from belief, from just believing and knowing what we believe. They went, back about, they went back to remember what did the apostles teach us about God's word in Jesus. And they came up with what now we call the Apostles Creed. That is a declaration of, yes, I believe, and this is exactly what I believe. Just like Romans 10 says, if you believe, believe in your heart and profess with your mouth. So that's what we're going to do. I'm going to have you, I'm going to have you right where you're at. If you'll just stand with me, if you'll stand. This was a tradition actually in an early church. When they came with the Apostles' Creed, a a lot of these early churches would end and or begin their time of their gathering by reciting the Apostles' Creed to profess with their mouth and to believe in their heart all that they believe. So that's what we're going to do here together. We're going, I'm going to put everything up on the screen and I'm going to walk you through it. And we are going to just, not just say, but I want you to believe this in your heart. And this might just be a renewal of belief for you. This might be the first time that you have vocally and out loud stated exactly what you believe about Jesus, God, his word, and the Holy Spirit. And there's power in belief. There's life in belief. And we gain confidence. So let's read this together. It says, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, the creator of heaven and earth, And in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord, who was conceived of the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. From there he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and life everlasting. Amen. Let's pray. Jesus, we simply and yet significantly declare with our mouths and believe in our hearts that just that we believe in you. We believe in you, Father God Almighty. We believe in you, Jesus, Messiah, Son of God. We believe in you, Holy Spirit, who lives and dwells in us, guiding us, leading us, directing us. We believe in you. And even though our our belief wavers at times, and as we go through difficulties, we find ourselves in seasons where it becomes even exponentially difficult to believe. But in this season of believing, renew our beliefs, strengthen our belief in you, grow our belief so that may we be like these wise men that believed in your word enough to travel a mighty distance, that believed in you enough to search for you without quitting, that believed in you above any other king. God, help us in our unbelief to believe in you and only you. In Jesus' name, amen.